This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Gita Sawelin, Swansea City fan and member of The Jackcast, which you can find on Twitter at The Jackcast. Hi there, my name is Dylan Arvella. I'm a fan of Manchester United and you can find me on Twitter at Dylan Eloy Arvella. Hi, I'm Peter Johnson. Uh, I'm a fan of Hull City and editor of Hull City fan group Tiger Link. You can find us at www.tigerlink.co.uk. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs. This will be a little bit longer than usual because we have very big news with Swansea and Hull and their managerial situations. Uh, Gitto will lead off with you. Obviously, there's lots of other stuff that we can talk about, but let's lead in with the fact that you have now hired uh, Paul Clement as your head coach, interestingly, not fully as your manager. What do you think of that appointment? Yeah, it's all been going on over the last few weeks. Um, it's a more traditional Swansea City appointment than uh, we've seen with Francesco Guidelin and Bob Bradley. There's a real sense that in Paul Clement, the club is actually looking long-term. Um, it, fact is that that long-term probably does involve planning for the championship as well, which is where we are still probably likely to end up, uh, despite the, the, the very nice win against Crystal Palace uh, this week. It's um, been a very eventful couple of, um, well, a very eventful festive period. The results were dreadful. Uh, we lost four games in a row uh, by three by a margin of three goals, which is something that just does not happen. Um, even if you look at the worst teams in Premier League history, none of them did anything like that. Uh, and it really summed up why Bob Bradley needed to go. Not only was he, uh, were we not getting results, we weren't even competitive. We were a a desperately easy team to play against. Uh, and, uh, you know, nothing was going right. He he, he had to go. Um, um, and we've brought in Paul Clement. There weren't a huge amount of candidates, really, for the job um, because of Swansea's situation. At the moment, we're not a very appealing club um, for prospective managers. Um, fans didn't really know what they wanted, I'll be honest. But there were some fans saying that we needed... Uh, a short-term fix, somebody who may just be able to scrape survival. Harry Redknapp's name was mentioned by quite a few people. I wasn't too fussed on Harry Redknapp. I I could see that ending up with us spending a heck of a lot of cash in January, only to still go down 
and then the new manager having nothing to spend. That that's how I saw Harry Redknapp going. Um, Paul Clement was probably the best of, um, uh, you know, the the best that we could have probably got. If I'm honest, Gary Rowett was another name being mentioned. Um, I, I would have been very happy with Gary Rowett too. Um, but Paul Clement, you know, he's worked with some of the best players in the world at some of the biggest clubs in the world so coming to Swansea and working with the likes of Jordi Amat and Leroy Fair is going to be a bit of a culture shock for him um, but you know I, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly positive about it I don't you know he, he's he's still unproven he's had one managerial job in his entire um, career and that was at Derby he only lasted a few months but it was Far from a disaster, his time there. I mean, he left them fifth in the league. They were. Uh, they, I, I, I personally thought he'd improved them technically on a t- on a technical level, but obviously Derby fans did not like the style of play, and you get the feeling that Paul Clement didn't see eye to eye with the people running the club. So things didn't really work out from there. But I don't think that necessarily means that he he's not a good manager. I think he, he's he's still got um, the potential. There's still the potential there. Um, to be a good good manager, I think. And, um, you know, Swansea, we're in a bad place at the moment. He's got a lot of work ahead of him. But um, I, I'm not, fans aren't expecting to keep us up this season. Fans are, uh, mo- most fans actually, well, a lot of fans then had actually accepted relegation for the win against Crystal Palace. Um, so if he does keep us up, it's a miracle. And that's an absolutely incredible achievement. Um, but most fans, you know, feel that if we do go down to the championship, you know, Paul Clement is more a Swansea type manager than what we've been used to. And th- there's a sense that he may be a decent option to start rebuilding the club. Yeah, obviously big news there, but we don't want to bury the lead too much. You also picked up a Premier League win. Only our fourth of the season. We now have more wins than managers this season, which uh, was not true. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> somebody, somebody did point out what, what we really need is more managers because the correlation between wins and managers is um, uh, is, is quite positive. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, was, um, it wasn't the best game of football against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace were awful. It has to be pointed out. They were, especially in the first half, they, that, that was the worst half of football I've seen by any team this season, which is not Swansea. Um, so that that says a lot. They they were, were lackluster, um, couldn't get a passing going. They just booted the ball up to Benteke. And he um, had what is a far too uh, common a performance from a Crystal Palace point of view in the sense that he didn't really um, do much. He was pretty weak and, uh, and inspiring and, and allowed the defenders to get the upper hand. Um, that played into Swansea's hand. We dominated possession, which is something we don't do that often these days. Um, and um, we were rewarded just before halftime with a goal for Alfie Mawson, who was um, sensational against Crystal Palace and a player that I'm, I'm quickly really uh, starting to to like quite, quite a lot. I think he's got a brilliant potential at centre-back. Uh, second half, Crystal Palace... Brought Benteke off. They brought on Fraser Campbell, and um, the, the game shifted. They started dominating the play. They started pressing without creating too many chances. But then the 83rd minute, Zaha scored a, a stunning goal, and you just thought, "Ah, oh, no, it's this again." Uh, reminded us of the Everton match, which again we were playing against a poor team, but they scraped the late equaliser, and we thought, "Ah, oh, this is just typical." But you know. <laughs> 
over the last few weeks when we've conceded, we've crumbled, and it was the complete opposite. Um, on uh, uh, well, the, the other night, they um, somehow um, came back. Um, Leroy Fair, who I've been very critical of, came on as a substitute and, and fair play to him. First of all, putting a, a beautiful ball over the top for Angel Rangel to, to score. Angel Rangel, again, just cementing his legendary status at the club. Um, and then Leroy Fair spent the entire five minutes of added time um, just winning corners and throw-ins for us. Um, the most negative time-killing that you've ever seen, but he did it like a pro. Um, but, yeah, there was a real feel-good factor. Um, I, I don't think many people are seeing it as a great... You know, so, uh, the, Most people don't think that this is going to suddenly spark a major turnaround uh, in our fortunes. We've got a very tough run of fixtures coming up. Um, but, you know, like like I said, after the the last Crystal Palace win, which also nearly gave me a heart attack, and the uh, win against Sunderland. It's been a, a really difficult season, um, and we're not going to win that many games. So when the wins come along, we've just got to embrace them and celebrate them. And it really did feel brilliant to win again, especially since the players did show a little bit of fight and did show the kind of character that we haven't seen from them for most of this season. So, yeah, it was a, it was a rare positive night in a, in a grim season. Last time you were on, just to wrap up the Swansea stuff for now, uh, we asked you if you thought you should buy in January and try to stay up or just try to stay more financially healthy and be fine with whatever outcome. Is that still the case or has that changed with the appointment of a new manager? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, Paul Clement deserves a little bit of money, um, obviously, to, so, to to shape the squad a little bit. It, we certainly need invest, investment at the, bank, uh, at the back. We, we, we're badly in need of defenders. Um, wingers too. It would be great if we could um, could, could get uh, some more quality on the wings. Um, but but I think the main spending does still have to be reserved for the summer. I think if you try to transform an entire squad in January, you're not going to get much luck. Players are overpriced. Not too many um, players available of uh, the necessary quality. So just be shrewd in January. Focus on select targets and then. Um, in in the summer, then you can really focus on the major ins and outs. Fair enough. All right, on to you now, Dylan. Manchester United on a very good run at the moment, uh, although there have been some uh, controversial decisions, one could say. Uh, but I think the play style really speaks for itself of late. How's that run really, Kim? Yeah, so the, the run is quite impressive. And yes, we have been uh, a little bit fortunate in recent weeks. Um, so as with every team in Britain, Man United have been pretty busy over this Christmas New Year period. And that started off with a game against Sunderland, which was actually the return to Old Trafford for David Moyes. Uh, obviously at a tough time at the club, but I was heartened to see that he didn't get really that much booing in the from the Old Trafford crowd. Well, at least which was from uh, at least none of that was audible through my TV. And he was, I even saw him getting some photos with some of the Man United fans, which made me pretty happy because he was pr- treated pretty, pretty poorly from the club uh, in the way they managed his dismissal. dismissal. Uh, as for the game, it was a fairly comfortable 3-1 win. Mkhitaryan scored a stunning overhead back heel, which in my opinion was morally onside. Um, but really, I think the goal of the game was Barini's consolation goal, which was a stunning looping half volley, which I think it's a bit a bit unlucky that that's sort of been lost in the whole Giroud v Mkhitaryan backhill goal hype. 
but then we went on to a few days later, we had Middlesbrough on New Year's Eve. Uh, we were a bit lucky having two sort of lower sides come to Old Trafford over this period. Um, over this hectic period where most teams, a lot of teams are complaining about having to travel, do a lot of travelling. So to have two games at Old Trafford is pretty, pretty lucky. Uh, the major talking point of this match, especially the first half, was Latin Ibrahimovic's disallowed goal for dangerous play. A lot of people have said it was the wrong decision because he was a metre away, metre or so away from Valdez. However, if that was anywhere else on the pitch, it would be a foul and probably yellow. And in fact, I can recall Nani getting a red card for Manchester United in the Champions League against Real Madrid for a similar offence. So I think the call was right. Um, so I'm not too disgruntled. Maybe that is because we did get the win in the end. Uh, a, side note, a side note, if he was allowed the goal, Ibrahimovic would have went level with Messi for a number of goals in 2016 with 51, which I think is quite impressive for someone that I believe is 35. Um, anyway, you know, I just struggled to get, struggled to break down Burrow, and I think that if they do manage to stay up, it'll be down to their resolute defence. And in the 67th minute, Grant Ledbeater got on to the end of an Agreda knockdown, put them a goal up, fair play to them. They tried to hold on to it, but Mourinho quickly acted, uh, bringing on Rashford, um, going 4-4-2, which almost went to like a 2-6-2, given how much licence his fullbacks were allowed to get forward. This attacking approach really paid off with Martial getting the equaliser and then Pogba netting the winner, uh, within the last 10 minutes. I know Middlesbrough are relegation candidates, but the nature of this win was very Sir Alex Ferguson-esque, uh, which I think is a credit to Mourinho, and I'm not one to really put much, much praise on Mourinho, so credit credit to him for really going for this match. Uh, and then two days later, um, this is probably the game where the controversy you, you alluded to earlier, uh, we travelled to the London Stadium to play West Ham, uh, the Hammers sort of came crashing down to earth with their defeat to Leicester after a few easier fixtures. And I've been pretty disappointed with Billage, who seems a bit sort of bereft of ideas, and his summer signings have pretty much failed to make an impact. Uh, but that being said, the Ham dominated United uh, early, and I was I was quite nervous because they did, they did give us a lot of troubles when we faced them about a month ago. In fact, yeah, we actually drew that match after they took the lead quite early. Um, and then 15 minutes in, so far in Figuli, sort of red. Um, and I, I admit it was quite unlucky for West Ham, but I don't think it was as outrageous as some people are making out. Figuli lost control of the ball at at one stage before the impact. He did have his body, whole body, off the ground, and it was going in with considerable force. People were saying the Jones play acted. However, it isn't that inconceivable that the challenge actually hurt. Uh, so yes, he did roll around, roll roll away, and he was in pain. But it wasn't like he was down for for that that long. It wasn't that, uh, like I said, inconceivable that he <laughs> was actually in pain. Um, now people were coming out questioning Mike Dean's credibility and the credibility of refereeing as a profession, saying things like they think they think the game is all about them and that they shouldn't their sh- referees shouldn't be characters, which I think's nonsense because if you're going to take charge of something 
you are inherently going to be imposing yourself onto it. And you look at the best referees of recent years, Howard Webb, uh, Luigi Colina, and now Mark Clattenburg, they are all larger than life figures who were able to impose themselves. So I don't think Mike Dean or any referee should really be um, knocked for that. Uh, and he did take his time for the call, and um, it was it was unlucky for West Ham, but it wasn't as outrageous as some people making out. Um, anyway, back to the game. United failed to really make take advantage of their numerical advantage, and a major factor of that was Ibrahimovic insisting of dropping into the midfield. When you have a big striker and you're up against 10 men, you're sort of wanting pushing against the last defender, as far, pushing him as far back as possible. Um but yeah, credit to Mourinho again. He brought on Rashford and Matter and pushed Carrick into centre back, and the United starting to be, started to become more imposing. Eventually, Rashford and Matter linked up for the opening goal, and it was followed by a goal from Ibrahimovic, which puts him on 13 league goals. Yes, that goal was offside. That was a bad call, but that happens in in football. Uh, but we were lucky. Um, like I sort of mentioned earlier, Sir Alex Ferguson esque lucky. Uh, but that win, seven in a row, 13 undefeated in all competitions, and with a couple of uh, cup matches coming up um, and the Scousers in the league next, well, I'm pretty looking forward to things. Yeah, what is your now that you've gone on this run, what is your expectation by the end of the season? Um, well, it's, it's very easy in football to you go, really, we're going to come first, we're going to miss out on Champions League, we're going to come first, we're going to miss out on Champions League. But... Um, it is conceivable that we do make a run to finish in the top two. Um, the thing is, there's a lot of good teams in there and there's going to be two or three sides that miss out on the Champions League that are going to be Champions League quality sides. Um, saying that, United look quite settled, uh, so much so that Smalling, our best centre-back from last year, is struggling to get into the side. Uh, players that are coming into the side are making a difference. Um, and like I said, I, I don't see why we can't really, why we can't push for the top two. And with Spurs winning, winning against Chelsea this morning, um, it leaves, it leaves the door ajar if, if miracles are possible. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, on to you now, Peter Hull, the other big news of yesterday, uh, as we're recording at least, uh, with the surprise sacking of Mike Phelan, despite the team having recently put out some better performances. What's the story behind that? Yeah, first of all, uh, just to set a little bit of background, uh, we are four days into whole stint as UK City of Culture. Uh, the city is absolutely booming. It's had 60,000 extra visitors on uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and subsequently. We had a magnificent firework display, one of the biggest in the country. And we've got a superb modern light show with the history of Hull superimposed on buildings across the city at the moment. So uh, the city is booming. However, Mike Thielen lasted only 66 hours into our stint as UK City of Culture. Um, I don't think his sacking, if we call it that, had anything to do whatsoever with current results or form. It was a political decision, and it may have been decided some time ago that he would leave around this time. 
I will explain that in due course. Uh, first of all, just to give an indicator of the supreme mess our club is in, on and off the pitch, the official press release which announced the sacking of Mike Phelan was dated the 3rd December 2017. Um, okay, it was just a mistake, but it's the sort of thing that's been happening at our club uh, regularly over the last few months mm. with our owners, the Alams, appearing to be running it down completely uh, and not interested whatsoever in what's going to happen to the club longer term. However, they have rarely issued a statement today. We've had a statement from the vice chairman, Ehab Alam, which is a sort of template type statement that you get when a manager leaves, wishing him well, thanking for his efforts, saying that the time was, the time was right, all the sort of cliches that you would expect. I think Mike Thielen will leave remaining fairly popular because most people see him as a poodle in that he was willing to take on a challenge and work for totally unreasonable people, our owners, at a time when the club is in disarray. You will remember, perhaps, that we won our first two games and the vital stage of our season was after those first two games when there was then an extended period of between seven to ten weeks when Mike Phelan was trying to negotiate a contract to be appointed as manager and our owners actually went missing and he couldn't see them to discuss it. He wasn't appointed for, I think it was 10 weeks after the second victory. The side lost cohesion and momentum. And I think from that point, when they failed to give him the job in early September, most fans felt that he wouldn't be a success whilst wishing him well, because we had a certain amount of momentum, but we lost it. You could see it in the players, you could see it in the eyes of the fans. So why is he gone now? Well, it may simply be that the negotiations for Marco Silva to appear uh, were in place, and we still don't know if, first of all, Marco Silva will be appointed, although he's 1-12 to 12 on the favourite to be so. He's the former Olympiakos uh, coach uh, who had some success there. Um, but overall, we are in a very strange situation because we have a new manager possibly in place tomorrow morning, maybe called a head coach, and then the next game against Swansea in the FA Cup is the subject of an official boycott called for by the Hull City Supporters Trust. And thus far, I think we've sold 2,000 tickets. So it could be that if a manager is appointed tomorrow, and we expect it to be silver, it could be that his first game will be boycotted by Hull City fans as a protest against the owners. So that is a unique and quite a sad situation, to be honest. Mm. But you need to understand the, the recent history of Hull City to understand why fans feel so strongly about this. The, the owners have shown that there is a real danger that we follow the path of clubs like Blackpool, Coventry, Portsmouth, and have owners who linger, won't go away, and drag the club down the divisions. So at the moment, it's, it's an odd situation. Obviously, we're concerned about the results. 
obviously we're bottom of the league. Obviously we want to improve. But the the mindset of the fans is to get the Allens out. And it's generally thought that we haven't got a snowball's chance in hell to stay up unless we get new owners. And it is hoped, because it has been touted as such, that the arrival of Marco Silva tomorrow may be accompanied immediately or soon after by the arrival of new owners. And that is what the fans are believing in. Just a brief look at our recent games, <laughs> just to mention a bit of football. Uh, not a bad performance against Everton at home. We drew 2-2 over Christmas and uh, might have won had it not been for a pub team type error from goalkeeper David Marshall, hmm. who has been disappointed since disappointing since he arrived and has made t- dropped two or three clangers, to be honest. But he's typical of a, a player who's playing in a struggling side in that you can see that he, he's, he's lacking confidence and looking nervous, as are a lot of the players. And it has been quite an achievement from Mike Phelan to actually keep the dressing room and keep the players committed in recent weeks because we've plummeted down the table, but we haven't played that badly. And lots of TV pundits have said so. Personally, I actually see that as a bad thing rather than a good thing. Because I think if you're playing well and still losing, I think that reflects very badly on your squad rather than positively. So this is the background to Mike Phelan's departure. And we look forward to, we're hoping for, the appointments of Marco Silva tomorrow morning. We lack quality, but having said that, I don't think it would take much to get the morale of this, the side really high, high again. But what we really need is some money to buy some players in January. And I'm still sceptical as, as to whether that would be available. I can't mm. believe that, that Silva would take the job without money being available. But it would be very strange if it were made available. Because one of the reasons Mike Thielen had a row in the last few days, as we understand, with the owners, particularly Vice Chairman Ihab Alam, is that first of all, when it was time to discuss the January transfer window, the Vice Chairman was unavailable, he disappeared. And secondly, it was clear that no money was immediately to be made available and it was going to be just loan signings. So that's where we are in the happy old city of Kingston (laughs) upon Hull at the moment. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, now I'm going to talk about Tottenham for a while because I feel I've earned it uh, as a fan. Uh, having watched many, many disappointing matches in my life, a 2-0 against Chelsea when they were about to break the streak for longest Premier League win streak. Uh, it feels glorious at the moment. Della Ali with so many headed goals has been amazing. Uh, I saw a stat floating around right after the match that in London derbies, Pochettino... Uh, has been in charge of 12, and we've won eight and drawn four. Never lost, Um, which is absolutely incredible um, in his brief tenure at White Hart Lane. Uh, It was was such an incredible match. I was mentioning to some people before the match that us and Chelsea basically just uh, put up a uh, a, uh, formation sheet, and it was just mirrored. Uh, Everything was basically exactly the same. They put in Matic and Conte. We put in Dembele and Wanyama, and I think... Uh, 
for a large part, that's what killed a lot of the momentum in the middle of the pitch, uh, which is why you saw a lot from the wings, although that formation uh, with the wingbacks obviously does uh, tend to drift a bit wide to begin with. Uh, but it was a very even match, I thought. Um, I've seen a lot of people kind of getting carried away, but uh, obviously terrific performance from Tottenham. And a lot of people did not think we'd be able to put in that kind of shift. I saw as recently as two days ago, people that saying of this clear top six, Tottenham are sixth. Uh, I'm worried that by the time you're hearing this, the papers will already be talking about us in a title chase as we currently sit third. There's something in between those. Uh, that's top four, which I think is still absolutely there for the taking. I don't really think uh, title form is going to be coming to us anytime soon. I just think there are too many uh, good teams in the league this season, but uh, very, very, very pleased with this win against Chelsea. Obviously, it means so much to the squad. We heard from players over the week that a lot of the players never really got over uh, that 2-2 draw last season with Hazard's late goal, which is what really ended uh, with capital letters, our title run. Um, which gave it to Leicester. So to get that kind of off of our back, that was really the last big hurdle we had to get past uh, because it's unlikely we play Newcastle this year. Obviously, that capitulation in the last match of the season was also disappointing. Uh, But to do this against Chelsea, who were in first with Conte, red-hot form, uh, and to take them down 2-0, keeping the clean sheet, I thought was very impressive. We now officially have the best defense in the league again. Uh, If you use goal defenses, that metric, having now pushed uh, those two past Chelsea, which is obviously very pleasing. Uh, as for a player, I just think it's worth noting um, Victor Wanyama was absolutely immense today. And I saw something floating around uh, in the ether that I thought was a very good point, which is that Victor Wanyama almost seems to play better once he's been given a yellow card. It, it narrows his uh, range of outcomes, I think. He really needs to rein himself in a little bit sometimes. And once he's on that yellow... Uh, I think at times he really rises to the top of his game, Uh, maybe staying on his feet a little bit more, maybe watching his positioning a little bit better, knowing that he can't charge in late on the floor because he could get sent off. Obviously, he has picked up a lot of yellow cards this season. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, uh, especially because that's basically been his game ever since he's come to England. But uh, was was absolutely terrific for us. And as I mentioned, really negated Chelsea through the middle of the pitch. Uh, Erickson had a down match. Uh, midweek, or I guess that was actually the weekend. This is midweek. Uh, but against Watford, when uh, everybody seemed to be clicking, Erickson really was not. Um, had had toyed with the idea in my head, maybe maybe you give him a rest, or maybe we should have taken him off earlier in that match. <laughs> Obviously, kind of curse of the commentator there, uh, as he basically plays in the same ball twice, finds Della Ali twice. Della Ali has been in incredible form. Um, really started with that header against Virgil van Dijk. I think that really got the confidence back up. And uh, now he has a brace in three straight Premier League matches, which is about as much as you can ask from a midfielder. Um, Him finding form is so important to us. Obviously, those performances bring about transfer rumors. I don't really buy any of them. I saw swap deals for Isco, that he'd just go to Real Madrid straight up for $50 I don't want to sound too homerish, but I think the price is higher than that. Uh, If not before these last three games, certainly after it. Um, he's just been so, so phenomenal. And his unpredictability is what makes our team really work because everybody else pretty much has a set role. Uh, Lamella is really the other player that just kind of drifts around wantonly. Um, but it's so hard to keep track. And, and even on that, uh, I think it was the second goal, uh, you saw Azpilicueta be stranded. Um, I think it was Louise that abandoned him, if memory serves. 
Uh, and he was forced to decide between Harry Kane and Della Ali, and he chose to mark Harry Kane. And I think you can't understate how important Harry Kane's return to form has been for Della Ali's success. Because once you have that threat of Harry Kane up front, it really opens things up for Della Ali to run into those spaces, to be unpredictable. And I think that's really what, what was the difference today, is that our wild card made the difference in Della Ali, and Eden Hazard, for the most part, was kind of kept in check. Um, I think you always have to mention Kyle Walker and Danny Rose these days. Um, Pedro had been in great, great form, as had Eden Hazard, as had Victor Moses. Danny Rose had his way with Victor Moses this whole match. And I think uh, Victor Moses may be in my team of the half season with how well he's been doing at Chelsea. But he got thrown for an absolute loop today. Uh, and I think a lot of that credit really needs to go to Danny Rose. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, so uh, where that leaves us, like I said, we're at third, which is very pleasing. Uh, as far as other news, Tottenham did put out uh, a kind of fly-through 3D model of the new stadium that has everybody nice and excited. Um, obviously, that is the future of the club. Uh, there have been some people talking about Daniel Levy's goals being looking at exactly how Arsenal did things and then doing them better. Um, I realize that that brings a lot of fan aspects into it, but you know the Emirates was built a fair few years ago. Uh, the goal of design should be advancement and innovation and time-proofing everything. So while it's fun to be like, oh, it's going to be better than the Emirates, it should be. Um, just because time has passed and the money's different. And uh, I do like our approach, the fact that we've locked down all of our young talent, even if someone like Dal Ali did want to move, which I don't think he would want to do at the moment, but we'd get the money we deserve for them because we keep re-upping all these contracts, uh, raising their value every time that we do it. And I still don't think there are any buyout clauses, although I will say again, the Belgian media is saying that Toby does have a buyout contract in the summer of 2019, but I have every faith that that will be remedied quite soon. Uh, so, yeah, very pleased with everything. I do think Toby's the next on the conveyor belt of transfers. Oh, uh, one quick thing, Peter. Uh, rumors coming out that Hull might be interested in Josh Onuma. So, first, why do you try to take all of our players? And, B, is that a move that would interest you? Hey, look, I reckon we're just going to become a feeder club. And, and <laughs> but the other way. Off. Well, the other way around, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I... I I haven't. We've been linked with a large number of players. I'm not familiar with that one. I must admit, I haven't seen that one. Uh, the only one I'm going to mention subsequently is uh, we were linked with what seems a reasonable shout, um, Carl Jenkinson, I think it is, of Arsenal fullback. But uh, no, um, I thought we dried up on on trying to take the Spurs reserves in in recent times. But uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, frankly, everyone, you're about 38 minutes into the show. We were meant to have a topic, but uh, as I mentioned, we did want to get more in depth with Hull and Swansea. So I think we're just going to go topicless. We're going to go crazy. We're going to go off script and we'll just lead directly into player watch. But we'll touch on two things in here. Uh, the first, we'll go through and talk about the players who impressed and disappointed in our most recent fixtures. Gitchell, we'll start with you and your win over Crystal Palace. 
Uh, yeah, a lot of players had uh, better games than, than they have been of late. Uh, the one that probably stood out for me, uh, Alfie Mawson, just ahead of Ki Sung Young, who had a much improved game. Uh, Alfie Mawson, very young defender. Uh, he, he was bought in the summer from Barnsley, uh, and, and there are big similarities there stylistically with John Stones. He needs a lot of work defensively, but as a footballer, with a ball at his feet, he is brilliant. He's so comfortable, so confident. Um, hopefully, long-term, he can be the replacement for Ashley Williams. Uh, had a very good game against Crystal Palace and got a goal uh, as his reward. Uh, in terms of disappointment, the, the one that probably stood out is Neil Taylor. Um, as soon as Wilfred Zaha decided to turn up in the second half, Taylor had a difficult game. Um, he was twisted inside and out. Um, it, it, he was taken off for Angel Rangel, who went on to score the winner. Uh, Taylor's had a difficult season. Um, and it just continues against Crystal Palace. He's, he's just probably not, a, well, he's definitely not up to Premier League standard. Um, the question is, will he be starting even if we do go down to the championship? Fair enough. And on to you, Dylan. Yeah, so for Manchester United, the players that have impressed in recent weeks, Ander Herrera has really become a vital part of the Man United side. Uh, since he signed, he's sort of had spits and spurts of where he's looked really impressive ever in attacking or defensive roles. But this season, he's really taken up this this new position next to Carrick, which has allowed Pogba to play his natural game. Herrera actually averages more interceptions per game this season than in Angola Kante, uh, which which is quite impressive because that's basically what Kante has made his name, name upon. And he does a lot of the running for Carrick, which has allowed him to play a lot more minutes uh, than most people expected. Um, Martial was quite impressive against Middlesbrough in the light of rumours that he could go on loan to uh, Sevilla, uh, which are highly unlikely. Um, he had four shots on goal, three on target, six complete dribbles, one four fouls, and obviously scored the equaliser. He was probably the man of the match in that particular game, and it was surprising he didn't retain his spot for the West Ham match. Uh, and in that West Ham match, Marcus Rashford... Um, in a half of football, he managed to assist three key passes, drew drew two fouls. Um, and he and he's and the the runs that the the thing about Rashford is everyone keeps saying he's just such a raw talent. And it's as if people still don't know what's going to happen. As if he's every time he comes on, it's like he's making his debut. Um, and on countless occasions, he's just turning turning players inside out, and his pace and determination is something that all the United fans are are really impressed by. And a player that has been impressive and unimpressive in the way that I mentioned it earlier, Ibrahimovic was pretty poor tactically against West Ham, but ultimately he has been impressive. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he nearly matched Messi's goal tally for 2016. People moan about that half of it was in France. However, you look at PSG's issues this season and it shows how influential he is. And it also annoys me how people complain that he's overly arrogant and these are normally the same people that say there is no characters in the game. But anyway, Ibrahimovic, he was impressively unimpressive. <laughs> Fair enough. And Peter? Yeah, I suppose the, the the most obvious candidate as the, the plus point of recent games against West Brom and Everton uh, has to be Robert Snodgrass. Uh, he and Michael Dawson have been the players who've performed consistently well for us this season. And uh, this was typified in the games against 
Everton and West Brom when Snodgrass scored in both. I think the big thing about Snodgrass is that he, he, he has performed consistently well for us uh, and he's provided danger at free kicks on the end of the, uh, at the edge of the box, which is the one thing we lacked desperately in our previous stints in the Premier League. And it's particularly annoying to fans that we have someone like that at the moment, but we can't get the rest of our act together on the pitch. So certainly Snodgrass takes all the glory at the moment and uh, we'll do well to hold on to him. I don't know what his goals tally is for the season, uh, but he, he's, he scored some spectacular and very good quality goals, although there are question marks over his uh, defending and his willingness to run back. I heard him described as the whole city's Ozil the other day, um, in addition to his, his skill going forward. But he, he has to be the big positive in recent games and, and indeed through the season. As a negative, I've got to go for um, Marshall in goal, David Marshall, because he he has made a lot of mistakes. He has looked uncertain at the back. And I don't think we've kept a clean sheet since the second game of the season when we won at Swansea. Uh, and that is something you need to do when you're fighting relegation. You know, you, you can't be leaking goals because it becomes a disease. So I'm going to pick on him. And the second reason I'm picking on him is that we have a situation where we have a reserve goalkeeper, Eldin Jakupovic, who performed heroically in our um, EFL Cup quarterfinal against Newcastle in the penalty shootout. And has performed very well all season. And lots of Hulsey fans are screaming in disbelief that he isn't being played in the Premier League. I expect him to play in the game against Swansea coming up, uh, the, the game to be boycotted. And I imagine he will play in the two-legged affair against Manchester United uh, in, in January and first legs next Tuesday, I think. So, uh, marshalling goal, sadly, has to be the negative, uh, and quite definitely, Robert Snodgrass is the positive. Yeah, for Tottenham, I already name-checked basically our entire team uh, in my making the rounds, uh, but I think for this one, uh, you you got to give it to Della Ali. I, I think Ericsson is there with a shout, because uh, he's the one creating these chances, but he's created these chances in the past, and nobody's done anything about it. And I think Ali's willingness is a runner is so important to us. I think it's why um, people were surprised by how important Sun is to us and why some people were surprised that Chadley was let go because these are players that are willing to make that run even if the ball isn't going to be there. And when we don't have players willing to do that is when we get very stagnant. I think it was one of our main issues in the 4-2-3-1, which sounds crazy because we finished third in the league last season playing it. But I think at times we could basically get stood up uh, by defenses and not really have anything to do. And I think... With how good Chelsea have been, Della Ali's willingness to really cut in um, opened up a lot of things. Uh, I was talking to Seifu a little bit, and he was saying that his off-the-ball running had just as much impact, which I, I think I do agree with as well. Oh, and he scored two goals against Chelsea and helped us beat the team that's top of the table. Uh, how can I pick somebody that disappointed? Come on now. Um, for uh, impressed from Chelsea... Uh, screw them. No, Tottenham <laughs> are terrific, and I'm not going to talk about that other team. 
Uh, very, very pleased with us. You know what? Instead of doing a second person, how about just everyone else that I already talked about? You had Walker, you had Rose, you had Wanyama. Dembele had 97% pass accuracy. Are you kidding me? I've complained about how we don't have a pass over the ball. Maybe it's Dembele. It's not. I'm entirely getting carried away by the hype right now. Uh, but such such a good performance from us. Uh, uh, shout out to Pochettino. Bring on Harry Winks in the 70th minute which was terrifying to us, taking Musa Dembele off. But Winksy had a great match, had what was basically a goal line clearance late in the match. Uh, it, was, it was so good. I am so, so elated. And now I'm not so elated that I'm going to jump to title place. But as a pure moment of football, this has to be one of the better moments as a Spurs fan. It was absolutely terrific. All right, I think we have time for one last little bit of player watch here. We're going to talk about a player that you think you could realistically sign in January that could significantly help your chances of reaching whatever your goal is or or maybe just the player you'd like to bring in that would at least fill a hole. Uh, we'll go back to the same uh, firing squad here with Gitto up first. Uh, one player who uh, obviously we're going to find it difficult to attract players because we're deep in a relegation fight. Uh, but one player we have been linked with is Luciano Narsing. I think that's how you pronounce it from uh, uh, Um a, a Exciting winger, uh, willing to dribble, has a, a potential goal threat, the kind of thing that we've been missing. Uh, a signing that we really should have been looking to make in the summer, but we didn't. Um, but we definitely do need uh, a centre-back to a, a commanding, experienced centre-back. I I, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be looking at someone like Brighton's Lewis Dunk, but I don't think there's any chance of him leaving a, a, a title challenge in the Championship to join the team that's uh, in deep relegation trouble in the Premier League. Unfortunately. Uh, so, for, uh, so for Manchester United, I don't really think that Mourinho is going to do too much in this window. Um, Virgil Van Dijk's obviously one that's been touted, but that's that's to a lot of a lot of. T- Premier League teams, and uh, it's no wonder because the league's bereft of quality center defense, central defenders, and he's definitely one. Um, but I feel that Jose Fonte would probably be the better value and more assured option. You'd probably pick him up for a 33-year-old. I could imagine Southampton letting him go for about £10 million. Uh, pounds, and I reckon he'd be an excellent partner for Bay. Bay. Um, <laughs> He's, he's, he's older, but I still think you probably get one or two seasons out of him. So I think that would probably be a, a safe and smart option. And I've said it many times, Fonte, he's been the one constant throughout all the success successful defence centre-back partnerships. You look at Lovren, you look at Alderweireld, you look at Van Dijk. They've all flourished with Fonte beside them. So I think he would be a, a smart acquisition. Yeah, I think from a whole city point of view, first of all, I think fans have been most frustrated that we haven't been linked with players seriously. The news Kevin gave me earlier was a surprise to me. There haven't been any <laughs> uh, links in the papers or on the websites locally where people thought, yeah, that's really going to happen. And the big concern has been because of the state of our club, not just the position of it near the bottom of the league, but the fact that people know that it's in disarray. You know, what's going to make a footballer come to Hull City at the moment, apart from a good wage, uh, getting a few games, and it's a slightly livelier place than normal to go out on a Friday and a Saturday night. Uh, that has been the big concern. I've, men- concern. I've mentioned Jenkinson from um, 
from Arsenal. The one that I'd like to see that I don't think will happen now, we were linked for a long time with Jay Rodriguez of Southampton, who we've sniffed around for a long, long time, ever since his Burnley days, and was probably slightly too good for us. We actually signed his co-partner at Burnley, uh, um, Charlie Austin, who famously uh, failed a medical at Hull City, and we lost. But Jay Rodriguez actually looked exactly the sort of player who we needed, a striker, and was potentially good enough, having just got over... Uh, relatively serious injuries. But I think he's good enough, done enough at Southampton that Southampton will want to keep him. Uh, and I don't even know if he's, he's fit at the moment. But if you're asking me who I would like to see, then it would be Jay Rodriguez. And I think that's a realistic proposition. But probably we've missed the boat a little bit with him. And with a new regime coming in, there may be a totally different em- emphasis anyway, because I think Rodriguez was someone who, who feel and fancied quite a lot. Yeah, for us, it's very hard, as Mauricio Pochettino keeps saying in press conferences, it's very hard to add to this starting 11 um, without mixing things up a little bit too much. I think while I was very disappointed in our exit from the Champions League, which I largely put at the feet of uh, the transfer team, that Sissoko and Jansen um, didn't really live up to what we needed from them in those moments, that they have looked a lot better of late. Uh, Sissoko has looked not only like a footballer, but a good one <laughs> over the last three or four weeks. Um, Jansen obviously dealing with an injury, now just coming back. <laughs> but now looking back, I think it was good that we brought in people that uh, are very good cover and could challenge for those starting spots. Um, but maybe not guaranteed starters. And that kind of mold, uh, Frank Kessie is a player that we've been looking at a whole lot. Um, somebody that is, uh, I've mentioned in the past, very much in the Dembele mold of player. Uh, I, I think I've also mentioned, I love the way he addresses the ball. He comes to the ball with the intent of shielding people away from it, um, which is obviously uh, what has brought Dembele all of his fame the past couple of years for us. Aside from that, there were some rumors of uh, Bruma, the Portuguese one, not Jeffrey Bruma, the Dutch center back. Um, <laughs> I've actually spoken with uh, Dylan about him in the past. Uh, oh, actually, I should ask you about him now. Doesn't it feel like his kind of prospect label has kind of fallen off lately? Well, a couple of seasons ago, he was one of the big talents. Yeah. I'm, I'm just popping up his Wikipedia page now. Uh, so, what, he's... he's I think the point is that you had to. Isn't that the point? Is he's not that top tier anymore. And people were saying a 20 million pound move. And we already have Nkudu. I mean, if we're looking for somebody pacey that's inconsistent and still a work in progress, Nkudu's younger. I just don't really see He's already there. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been linked with Bruma. We've been linked on and off with Zaha this whole time. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying, what does he do that Nkudu doesn't? I think they're missing the, the point that Zaha is having very much a breakout season of sorts over there at Crystal Palace, both creatively and uh, as a goal scorer. His goal this weekend was it was beautiful, um, which I'm sure Gitto can now admit because they won. Um, <laughs> but uh, these are all the names that are being linked around. I don't really buy most of them, to be honest with you. Um, another striker I suppose I wouldn't hate just because Jansen's been off form and dealing with injuries. I think if we lost Kane, we could really plummet. Uh, at the moment, but, you know, we could do the Sun False Nine thing that we did a little bit at the start of the season, which kind of had mixed results. Uh, so I, I, like Pochettino, don't think we'll see much from us. Maybe late January, there are some youth players that we've kind of been 
linked to in the past that are rumored to be on the move. Ademolo Lookman looks like he's on his way to Everton. Um, but, you know, there are always those those low-profile guys that we could be interested in. Uh, it worked really well with Della Ali, so I wouldn't be surprised if we, maybe we do a move or two like that. We should have done it with Musa, a.k.a. Tusa Dembele last year, the one that's currently up in Scotland scoring goals for fun. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we make a low level move like that, but I do not think we'll be adding like say an Isco or anything crazy like that. All right. And we will quickly run through our FA cup fixtures that'll be coming up at the weekend. Uh, so we will go ahead. I guess we'll just go in uh, running order instead of in match order. So get we'll lead off with you again. Yeah, we've got an FA cup fixture coming up against uh Hull city. It doesn't really um, hit you as you know the magic of the cup or anything like that, but um, um, it's um, you know, I, I think you know Pete will agree with me on that. Um, it, it's it's not one that's going to catch the eye. It's not one that um, the the TV the the broadcasters are ever interested in. Um, but I, I'm starting to think it might give us a little bit of a chance of positivity. An FA Cup run in a dismal season, you know, could could lift spirits a little bit. Um, Hull are about as bad as we are. Um, but Hull have got a League Cup semi-final to look forward to. Um, so and you know a very small squad. So and no manager, of course. So I'm hoping that they'll see this as a, a game that they can throw away. They'll make a few changes. Um, you know, rest rest the, their key players for the League Cup match, and um, that may just give us a tiny little chance of progressing to the fourth round. But our recent FA Cup um, record is dreadful. It, it's really, really bad. Last season, um, I was away at Oxford United when they outclassed us and beat us three two. Um, generally, we do quite badly in the FA Cup, um, which is a shame because I love the competition. Hoping that this year can give us just some kind of positivity. You know, getting through the first few rounds would um, would just lift spirits a bit, give us something to be excited about. Oh yeah, I suppose Peter it would actually make more sense for you to follow that up since uh, you're also taking part in that match. Of course, that yeah, it makes makes proper sense to do so. First of all, I'd echo much of what was said there. Uh, I think the game will be described as drab perhaps, by both sets of fans. But, um, yeah, certainly, I mean, we are in our first ever, what I still call the League Cup semi-final, and we're playing Manchester United, and that'll be a high-profile fixture for us. And I, I think we will perform very well in those two fixtures, despite what I've said about our club. So, with the FA Cup, it's a strange one. I think we will rest players. But I think the, the changes at the club will actually create a little bit of momentum for cup competitions. We are one of the great non-achievers in cup competitions. We have a history of being awful in cup competitions until recent years when we've reached uh, quarterfinals, semifinals and the FA Cup final in 2014. So I think the game against Swansea is completely unpredictable could go any way whatsoever. I'd actually say that we'll probably go and win it simply because we'll probably get amazing luck, which we have lacked a little bit in recent games. But, yeah, it, 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 is, it is a very strange one. It will be boycotted. The, the attendance might well be something like six or 7,000. And, uh, yeah, a very, very strange situation 
to be looking upon an FA Cup match against fellow Premier League opposition and thinking that it's almost like a game you want to get out of the way so you can get on with the proper stuff. So, uh, yeah, slightly bemusing situation there. Uh, and then, Dylan, you're going to start off the matches on Saturday uh, as Reading visit to play you. I assume we're probably going to see some rotation from you? Yeah, that's probably on the cards. Um, and you could, it could potentially be the final game for maybe Morgan Schneiderlin, Ashley Williams, and a couple of couple of players that might be on the way out at Manchester United. Um, obviously, we're the defending champions of the LVG trophy, so it should be interesting how we how we approach this match in, in terms of that said rotation. Reading find themselves third in the championship, and ex-Manchester United defender Yapstam is in charge of them, and he's the next Dutch coaching prodigy to come out of Ajax. Um, I've, they've got some impressive players like Gareth McCleary. He's He's been Reading for a few years now, and he's quite quite skillful wide player. And they got Camogan up front, who actually I'm pretty sure scored a... a Double in the last ten minutes to win the game on the weekend. So it'd be interesting to see how they how they line up if they're going to play their starting their best eleven. They also have Liam Moore, who I'm surprised uh, Leicester let go a couple of seasons ago because I know he was quite experienced at England youth level level. And you can look at their centre backs now, and Morgan and Huth are aging and quite slow. So I think they could have used with Liam Moore. And they've also got Tyler Blackett, who came to prominence in Louis Van Hal's first year at United. Um, and I thought he was had the potential to go on and do some good things. So it'd be interesting to see if if he lines up against uh, his ex-club. I did note that Jake, Jack, Jake Jackman on the Championship podcast said that Reading had been pretty lucky this season. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see uh, if that luck uh, continues into this. He's saying that they're... Their shots to goal ratio has been um their, their goals to shot ratio has been quite high, um, so yeah that will be interesting. Hopefully we can get a comfortable win. I'd imagine that Pogba and Ibrahimovic uh, sit out this game. They've been playing a lot late, a lot lately. Uh, Rooney will probably come back into the side. Uh, Rashford is likely to start even if Ibrahimovic does start. Um, Obviously, I wouldn't say no to FA Cup success, but United do have higher aspirations. And, of course, we do also have the League Cup as well. And the fact we're in the semi-final um, probably puts the focus more onto that rather than a longer FA Cup campaign. Um, so obviously, some people, and I'm probably in the camp, that say the FA Cup is more important because of its history. But since we're already in the semi-final of the League Cup, it's probably important to maybe play a stronger team in that match against Hull. Um, But my prediction for this match would be a United win, hopefully to nil. Yeah, and wrapping up with us versus Aston Villa, I asked you if you were going to rotate. I think we're going to see a hilarious amount of rotation from Tottenham. I think it's going to be a full second 11 uh, against Aston Villa. Who are now without Rudy Gestet, who's just joined Borough. Uh, that's not why. But um, if I had to guess, I'd go uh, Jansen and Kudu, Onoma, mm, Sissoko, maybe. Maybe Onoma out on the right. I think we're going to see Winks. Um, we might see somebody that uh, often plays. Oh, my gosh. We might see Tom Carroll. Who knows? That's my crazy prediction is that we'll see Tommy Carroll, who we haven't seen for years, uh, often linked to Swansea, Tommy Carroll. Um Probably Trippier, Dyer, maybe Cameron Carter-Vickers. 
I think this is definitely a Vimmer match. Ben Davis should get in there. Michelle Vorm at the back. I, I honestly think this will be a full 11 uh, because our we played our full 11 through this whole stretch um, for the most part with really only Sun and Sissoko rotating. Dembele did sit uh, last match as well. But basically our full 11 has been out there in this three-match and <laughs> 10-day period. And we did the same thing the last time that happened in early December. Uh, so I think the players well-deserving of a rest. I think we'll see that. Um, I think the goal is, much like Europa League, uh, give those secondary players the chance to win their playing time. If you win this match, you get a chance in the next one. And I think that's really how we're going to be looking at that uh, this season. All right. Sorry uh, about the no topic thing. That was a little strange. Uh, We are now out of time, though. So if you guys would like to tell the folks where they could reach you or any projects you're working on, now be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Jackcast will will be recording uh, on Thursday night, and that should be available at the Jackcast on Twitter soon afterwards. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Dylan Eloy Arvella, which is where I normally put all my ramblings about uh, this wonderful game. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's uh, Peter Johnson, Tiger Link. Uh, www.tigerlink.co.uk you can get us on Twitter and Facebook it's been a pleasure this evening yeah and I'm your host Kevin DeVries at Kevroth on Twitter uh, you can also listen to our FPL roundtable but actually it's kind of on hiatus with the uh, FA Cup coming up but also Dylan did mention the championship roundtable which is always a good listen hosted by this show's uh, formerly very own Jake Jackman uh, hopefully again, uh, if Newcastle get promoted. Um, also, you can check out VIPBet.com, which is where Rob and I, who are the hosts of the FPL Roundtable, do DFS videos. Uh, so that's always worth a look. Uh, also, AllInSportsTalk.com, uh, where they push out our show in radio format, which is always a good way to do that. You can check out uh, at AllInSportsTalk on Twitter or the AllInSportsTalk app in the Google Play Store or in the Apple App Store. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.